0: So much, Brother Dearman. It is a pleasure to be here and to uh, have the opportunity to worship with the good folks here at the White Oak congregation. I've had an opportunity to meet some of you and to talk to you after the class. Some of you have told me about some of your connections to the early uh, uh, churches here in this city, and uh, some of you have talked to me about some of your ancestors who were gospel preachers of uh, yesteryear, and I could just listen to that kind of thing uh, all day long. It's a particular privilege for me to uh, be able to stand in the pulpit and uh, have someone like Brother Jim Dearman in, uh, in the audience. I have to say I have a great appreciation for him as a young man before I ever preached my first sermon. Had an opportunity to uh, hear him preach in a gospel meeting. I'd been hearing about Jim Dearman's coming. Jim Dearman's coming, and so. I, but I remember. I'm looking forward to hearing Brother Dearman. All of a sudden, this man, this tall, red-headed man, gets in the pulpit, and I mean, the deepest radio voice I ever heard. And uh, I, I mean, I was like, Thing! for I mean, every time you got up there, brother, you're just an excellent. God's given you a wonderful gift, He's given you a wonderful voice, and I know He's given you a wonderful wife. I've spent a little time with her too. And uh, you're really blessed here to have the Dearmans, Uh, and I don't have to tell you that, but uh, I wanted to. Uh, I really do appreciate them, and I have had an appreciation for them for many, many years and for the good work that they have done. I uh, bring you greetings from the Buford congregation. We have a uh, congregation that's up in northeast Atlanta, like you're heading up 85 toward, uh, toward South Carolina, and uh, we've been there for about eight years and have a wonderful work there. One of our deacons is Scott Sitton, and his mother, Sister Sitton, is with us this morning. had an opportunity to talk with her just briefly before we started, and and so uh, you be sure to tell Scott I came to church this morning when you talk to him, <laughs> so... This morning, of course, as was mentioned, we're talking about restoration. And the idea of talking about restoration is is a, an interesting thing, but I think sometimes it's easy for it to become remote. It can become kind of a distant thing. I remember when I was in high school sitting in, in history classes, and, and I want you to know of all the classes I took, I probably did more yawning in a history class than anything else But you know, I got a little older, and I got a little more experience, and a little bit more history under my belt, and then all of a sudden, history was very, very important to me, and I came to realize that history is not about something that happened to other people so much as is history is the foundation of the making of me, and uh, it just seems to all relate. Now, there's intertwining and interrelating that happens in various different histories, but when you go through a cemetery, there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of story. If all the stories could be told, can you imagine all the the things it would say? One of the things I love about the Lord's Church is the fact that I find people all the time who are connected to me. I mean, we may have never met before, but we know somebody who knows somebody... Uh, the Brotherhood's small enough and the kingdom is large enough to where we have uh, such a special and unique relationship with one another. It's not long before we find ways in which we have commonality. And it's a blessing when we find that and discover those and we realize how truly, truly blessed we are. When I think about the restoration movement, when I think about the idea of restoration, it is a real wonderful joy to me. And the thing about it is, it's not a new thing. It didn't start 200 years ago. I mean, contrary to what some people want to say, and sometimes people have said that the Restoration Movement actually started 200 years ago. But I'm here to tell you, Restoration Movement started a long time ago, before Alexander Campbell uh, was born. And uh, it took place a long time uh, before that. Uh, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years, all the way back to the time of the New Testament. The idea of being able to take a person who is lost in the world, separated from the love of Christ and the relationship that he can have with his God because of his sin, and to have the opportunity through the death of Christ to be able to come back to have a relationship with God is truly an inspiring idea. It's an appeal, an appealing idea to me. Well, I'm thankful for all that God has done in history. I can't help but understand that when I hear the good news of salvation, that it causes me to think, you know, that's something I want to have. That's something I want to be a part of. That's something that I want to enjoy and to have as a very important part of my life because it will give me hope in this life and also in the life to come. There's a passage of Scripture on the screen I'd like for you to look at for just a few moments, if you will, if you have your Bibles. If you'll open with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, we'll look at a passage of Scripture there. and We just want to make some observations of things that are said in this passage in the, in the next few minutes that we have this morning. When Paul wrote Corinth, he had such a love for this church. Such a love, like so many of the other churches, but a special kind of love for this church. It was the kind of love that a father has with a child that he's trying to rear in the admonition of the Lord. Enduring a lot of things and, and encouraging, saying words that needed to be said but other people wouldn't say. Dealing with problems and trying to admonish them to think in a better way. Oh, 1 Corinthians. Wow, what a book. What a What a slap not only on the hand but on the heart. What a challenge to change your stinking thinking, to try to think in a better way, in a positive way, in an encouraging way, correcting the things that are wrong, reproving them for things they should have known better, and admonishing them to live the way of the Lord. At the first of this chapter, of chapter 13, 2 Corinthians, he says, this third time I've written you, now God has not chosen to, to give us one of those books. We have two of them, and we're thankful for the two that we have, and obviously the two we have are sufficient for what we need. And we're thankful for what we have, but Paul says, I've written you three times. You know, when we write letters and we spend the time writing out in longhand what we feel toward a person, it must mean we care. The Apostle Paul cared for these people and he wanted to admonish them to live in a better way and to do the right thing. And so, at the end, he had these words to say. I tell you what, I think I've got verse 9 on the screen. Let's just pop back to verse 7. And let's see what it said there. He says, Now I pray to God that you will do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may not, or that we may seem disqualified. He says, For we do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, and this also we pray. "...that you may be complete. Therefore I write these things. Being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction." He says, finally, verse 11, "...Brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort." Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And Of course, he says some other parting, precious words that can encourage us. The idea and the appeal of God to be complete, to be, in a way, a sense of mature and grown, There in verse 7, or rather verse 9, he uses the word complete, does he not? He says, in this we pray that you may be complete. The idea of complete comes from the original language and it means the idea of becoming mature. It's like for me, I guess the best way to describe this would be persimmons. How many of you like persimmons? How many of you like unripe persimmons? Nobody, oh, we got one over here. <laughs> I like ripe persimmons. I don't know why, but it just it just seems to fit on my palate so much better. You know, when, the, when it's not ripe and you put one in your mouth and you know that feeling, what it does, it just kind of turns your mouth inside out. There's something we appreciate about ripe persimmons. There's something that we appreciate about a fruit that is mature. It's better on the palate. It's better and more enjoyable to the... To the experience of life, well, the Christian life is a lot that way, and there is a sense of maturity that is found in in, in God. I know the old King James passage; uh, I think uses the word perfect, the idea of perfection. There, the New International Version actually uses the word restored, restored. I've uh, used the English Standard Version for several years, and it says uses the word restoration. In other words, the idea is that you will come back to a place where you're good and settled. What what was going on with the church at Corinth? Well, certainly the church at Corinth was struggling with some really deep doctrinal issues. Uh, There was a, a sense of a warring spirit that took place because some thought that they were better than others. Uh, in the congregation because they'd been baptized by various different preachers. And, of course, Paul addresses that back in, in chapter 1 through chapter 3. He talks about how some were taking one another to, 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 uh, to the court authorities in chapter 6. Some in chapter 15 were even denying the resurrection of the dead. I mean, he had his work cut out for him when he wrote to this church to try and encourage them to get back on the straight and narrow. When it started, it wasn't that way. When, when, when he came there and he planted the gospel in the first place, he planted the message of the gospel, people responded to that, and he proceeded to do as the apostles in Acts 2.42 d- uh, did on the day of Pentecost. He guided them into the truth that they needed to know. And, of course, the church at Corinth were continuing steadfastly in the doctrine that was being taught by the apostle Paul. It was only when he departed that they started going through some problems. And so... They needed some restoration. They needed to come back to where they were. They needed to grow up. And so that was the encouragement that was being encouraged there in this passage. And so the importance of restoration is being a personal commitment. Why the idea of a restoration plea? We talk sometimes about the idea of restoring New Testament Christianity. Why is it so important for us to to have the idea of restoring, to come back to the kind of place in which God wants us to be. Well, I have some ideas uh, about that. Well, of course, I I think I've swiped that first one. The nature of it and uh, the uh, the content of Revelation is something that helps us to see the importance of restoration. What was that over there, over in the Book of Galatians? Just what one page, one page where he says there in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we've preached to you, he says, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than, you've been, than uh, that you've received, he said, let him be accursed. You know, when I read those verses, I see an old apostle who in his thinking is saying, you know, I'm not going to live forever. I, I want the churches to be strong in the Lord. I want them to stay the course in which we've given them from the first. But as I mentioned back in the period of our Bible class, any time you get people together, you're always going to be challenged by opinions. And the opinions in, in the churches of Galatia were rife. They were strong. They were, they were powerful. And there was an effort to try to change the simplicity of the gospel before Paul even died. And so Paul wants to set the record straight. And he's saying, look, I don't care who comes along and tells you to do something different than what I've told you. I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. If he comes and tells you something different from what I've already told you, let that man be accursed. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the faith of the Gospel means to be continuous. It has to be forever. It can't change. And if I come along and I try to make it something different than the simplicity in which it's been delivered in the New Testament, this passage says I need to be accursed. I want to ask you this morning, How aware are you of the things of the gospel? How much do you know personally about why you do what you do? I mean, why is it that we meet on the first day of the week? Well, for many of you, it could very well be you've been doing this all your life. Maybe your mom and daddy did this. Maybe this was something even your grandparents did. Well, that's, that's a wonderful thing. But I think there's a, there's a challenge, a special challenge to us who have ancestry in the Lord. And I think it tends to be called complacency. It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to get to the point where we're just wondering, well, why do we do what we're doing? Or why are we doing what we're doing? It just seems like we always do. I mean, it's like we always take the Lord's Supper. They have the bread first, they have the fruit of the vine second tendency to think sometimes, well, why don't we have the fruit of the vine first? Why, why, why don't we, uh, why don't we uh, instead of praying, why don't we just play? Why don't we just think rather than pray? Well, the Scriptures talk about the importance of praying. And the Scriptures talk about doing the various things that we do in the Lord's Supper. When the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, He took the bread first. And so it just seems reasonable to take the bread first. And as the Lord blessed it, we bless it and we pass it to those who can take it. We take the fruit of the vine, which commemorates His death, His burial, His resurrection, His blood... That caused him to die. And therewith we remember until he comes. Every opportunity we have to take it on the first day of the week. There's purpose and there's reasoning. And we may need to familiarize ourselves once again with the passages like Matthew 26 and 1 Corinthians 11. And some of the passages like Acts chapter 20. There in verse 7 and following, where they met together on the first day of the week and heard the preaching of the the gospel preached. We need to know about those things. It's not just enough for the elders to know or the the deacons to know. It's not enough for the preachers to know. We all need to know. Restoration is important. It was important to people in history. Down through the ages, people wanted to know about it. They wanted to understand about it. We talked this morning in our Bible class and gave uh, some, some history where people finally, because the printing press made it possible for people to have a copy of this wonderful book in their hands, when they started reading it, they said, Oh my, look what God says. And when they looked around at the religious experience that they were having in the world and they were saying, I can't see... Reflected in here, what I'm seeing here. And all of a sudden, there was a call and a cry from people in the world to say, let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back and just be Christians. I want to ask you this morning do you have that desire within your heart? Do you want it to be that when you come to worship that it has meaning? It's more than just something we've always done. It's something I'm doing because I'm honored to be in the presence of God this morning, knowing that his truth has been revealed and I can do the things that the church in the New Testament did. And I can participate in those things. There's some people in the world today who are looking for something new, something great, something wonderful. And all the time we have the greatest blessing in all the world. We have the truth. And the opportunity to experience worship like they did. You know, they say in science, you can't prove something true unless you can do it in the laboratory. Folks, on Sunday morning, you know what you do every time? You kind of do an experiment. You experience through obedience to the message of the gospel, the experiment of God's will every single time. And oh, as I mentioned at the first of my class this morning, there are so many people in the world that have no idea about this. And yet so often children of God become complacent and we really forget about the true blessing that goes along with it has been done and it works it has been done we can worship like they did in the first century and through doing it we can have the experience that they experienced and guess what we can have the hope that that that, uh, that they had and then we can have the promise that they had and we can enjoy the fulfillment of those promises just like he promised that they would do if they would respond to the word that needs to be our attitude That needs to be our hope. Now, very quickly, there are two or three things here in this passage that I really, really want you to see. First of all, I want you to see the prayer of restoration. He actually introduces it in verse 7, where he says, which is, uh, where he says, now I pray to God. I pray to God that you'll do no evil. Now look at verse 9 we're glad we see a weakness and you're strong he says and this also we pray that you may be complete what are we praying for we're praying for your completeness we're praying for your perfection we're praying for your restoration we want you to be mature in the lord you want it to be something that is palatable like that 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 fruit of persimmon uh, that is that is uh, uh, ready to be eaten. We want that to be something that is fresh and good on the palate of God's tongue. We want it to be something that He enjoys. Isn't worship about trying to please God? Isn't it about coming into His presence? The idea of worship is to bow down before God. I think many people in the religious world have got it all backwards. They've got the idea that worship is somehow about me. It's never been about me. It's about God. When I have an opportunity to be before God, well, I don't know about you, I know that when I was a child, I was pretty careful about what I did in front of my daddy. I wanted to make sure I didn't get in trouble for what he didn't want me to do. You know, if a person's in the presence of God, he's going to do the right thing. If we will remember that we're in the presence of God, all of a sudden it puts a little different perspective on the approach that we have and what we're doing. And I think that's what Jesus had in mind. when he told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, God's looking for a certain kind of worshiper. He's looking for worshipers that will worship Him in spirit. Yes, right attitude. But in truth, according to what He's revealed... There's got to be a balance there. And I'm telling you what, if you can capture that balance and appreciate that wonderful balance of right and attitude coming together with the rich blessings of God's revelation, oh, what a religious experience you can have. Yeah, we'll call it that. What a wonderful religious experience you will enjoy because you're praising God the way He wants to be praised. Folks, is is that not something we need to pray for? that we will all recognize what we have, and that we'll enjoy what we have and what God has blessed us with. Certainly, we want to pray about it. But then, he also talks about the prayer, or rather the power of restoration, there in verse 10. He says, Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. I don't know about you, but I had a mama that told me when I was a kid, you do what I tell you do and everything's going to be all right. One of the worst things my mama ever had to say to me is, son, go out to the hickory switch, break me off a good one, and bring it in the house. Well, I don't know about you, but the kind of experience I had with that was that was not something that you really wanted to hurry about, you know. You kind of wanted to take your time with it. You know, just kind of ease yourself on out in the back, you know, and stand there and behold what a wonderful bush that was that God had made. And the tendency is to want to just take a little time and pick just the most choicest of branches that uh, my mother wanted to uh, use on me. (laughs) <clears throat> I'll never forget kind of words of encouragement that came from my mom from time to time. Every once in a while, she would say, Scott, where is that switch? Coming, mother. A few minutes later, <laughs> I know none of you mamas ever said this, don't make me come down there. Well, I knew it was about time to go ahead and break that switch off and get it back to the house because I knew I was going to have to take my punishment like a big boy. You know, the Apostle Paul kind of does that right here in verse 10. When he says to him, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority of the Lord which given me for edification." You know what Paul is simply saying in this letter? Don't make me come down there. Don't make me come down there. Isn't that what he's saying? Don't make me come and use the authority in which the Lord has empowered me to make sure that the things of restoration, of maturing, of completeness actually take place. God wants you to be, hey, He wants you to grow up. Now I'm not talking about get old. Anybody can get old. Immature people get old every day. I'm talking about growing up in the Lord. I am so impressed when I see a young person who has a faith of their own who go to church because they love the Lord. They want a relationship with God. They want to worship their Lord in spirit and truth. Oh, it just warms my heart. Well, it warms my heart when I see older ones do it too. Anybody that wants to do it. And I trust that's the reason you're here this morning. Because you want to worship the Father with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This morning, maybe, and I hope you are, working on your restoration. You know, what this reminds me of is the fact that the Lord is going to come again someday. And when He comes again, guess what? He's going to come with either one of two things. He's going to come with a blessing. Or He's going to come with much more than a hickory switch. He's going to come with a rod. And it's going to bring destruction. Are we ready for it? Are we ready for it? And then, of course, lastly, sure don't want to miss this encouragement here. God's plan of restoration. He says, finally, brethren, verse 11, farewell. Become complete. My ESV actually says, my English Standard Version actually says... Aim for restoration. In other words, get with the program. Get with the idea in which God has presented to you in the gospel of Christ. Don't wait for it to be something somebody else does. Don't wait for it to be something that a church does. Do it yourself. Make it personal. Make it yours The beautiful thing about the Restoration Movement is not the effect that it has so much on churches and communities, but because of the lives that have been changed in those communities. Because of the salvation that people have experienced in those communities. And the opportunities that have been awarded them in coming into a body of restored believers who have the idea that we're not just playing at of feeling. We're not just playing at a religious experience. We are striving with all of our heart because we love the Father and we're admiring of the Son to be a part of what He's done. Just to be a part and connect. Oh, I remember when I was a little boy, when I could hang around the big guy in the neighborhood, you know, the football player, the popular guy, Oh, listen, I just want to be around Him. I'd do whatever He did. I think that's just the way we are as human beings. When you really fall in love with what God has done for you this morning, I want you to know it's going to make you want to be more like Him. It's going to make you want to grow up and strive to put on the fruit of the Spirit like it's talked about in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. It's going to help you to try to Admonish yourself to be better, to live better as a worker, be better as a student, be better as as an individual in life, to be better at living the Christian life, to pick up and to make yourself available for the work of the Lord. Not wait for somebody else to come and ask you, but to say, hey, what can I do? What can I do? I just want to be around Jesus. And I want to connect with who He is, what He's done, and what He's promised that He'll do for me. Folks, that's what restoration is all about. It's about commitment. It's about committing yourself. But folks, you have all the motivation in the world. It's not like trying to force you into something that you don't want to do. If you truly love Jesus, and I hope that's what you do this morning, then you've got all the motivation in the world to do what God says to do. This morning, are you subject to the invitation of our Lord? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus if you've been forgiven of your sins. I know in a crowd like this, we have to, be, have to have some folks who have never named the, the name of Christ in their lives. and not, not ever allowed Him to become Lord of their lives. Oh, Jesus stands at the door and He knocks and he, He's looking for an opportunity to come in and bless you this morning. Will you let Him bless you today? If you'll just repent of your sins and try to... Determine, I'm going to live a different life. I'm, I'm going to live a better life. I'm going to change my ways. I mean, I'm not going to be perfect, but I've got a God who's promised that He'll help me. And He will help you if you'll let Him. Would you repent of your sins? Would you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life? Would you be baptized? Oh, what a wonderful blessing it would be today to assist you. I'm telling you, it'd be fine with me if we didn't just get lunch. Let's, let's, you know, if you, need, if you need to be baptized, let's just take that time. If you've been baptized and yet your life isn't what it should be, maybe restoration's just not something you've thought about in a while. I mean, personal. Nothing I'd rather do than have you come up, put your hand in the hand of one of these elders and let us pray for you and encourage you in whatever way possible. Because, you know, at the end of the day, God's given us each other we need each other so that we can go home if you're subject in any way we bid you come all together we rise and as we sing